0: Open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 5. We do have parallel passages to what we're going to be looking at, but we're going to basically stay in Mark. Mark 5, we'll be looking at verses 21 to 24, and then 35 to 43. And we are on lesson number 62. This is the Great Physician part 3, even though it doesn't say part 3 in your books. We come to the second resurrection miracle by Christ during his earthly ministry. His first was the raising of the widow's son in name. And this second resurrection miracle is also the third humanly incurable situation in our look at Mark chapter 5, which is called the Bible chapter for incurables. As we've been talking about Jesus as the great physician of the total man the whole man, we have seen this illustrated, first of all, through his healing or his exercising of the dehumanized demoniac of Gadara, and then also last week through his healing of the disgraced daughter with the 12-year-long issue of blood, and today we are going to be discussing his raising from the dead of a 12-year-old daughter of one of the rulers of the Capernaum Synagogue. So let's review our situation just for a minute. Jesus, at the evening of that long, very, very busy day in which he did so many things, began with exercising a demon, and it ended with exercising a legion of demons. And in between were all kinds of satanic attacks, weren't there? And in between all of that also was the uh, Mystery Kingdom parables, that discourse, but uh, that was a long, busy day. Going to bed, he's told his disciples, let's cross over the sea. And then you know the story, of course, how he exercised all the demons out of those two demoniacs. And uh, they went into a herd of 2,000 pigs. And that did not make the citizens of the Gadarenes very happy at all because they preferred their pig profits. So they asked Jesus and his disciples to, to leave their coasts. And Jesus never stays around where he is not wanted, so he crossed back over the sea to Capernaum, where as soon as he was getting out of the boat, there was a multitude, a great crowd of people waiting for him, two of which were the people we have been looking at, uh, Jairus, who was anxious about his dying 12-year-old daughter, and also the woman with the issue of blood. Now think about this for a minute. And don't try to follow me in in your notes because you'll have a terrible time today. I'll warn you ahead of time. I don't really see anybody trying to do that. Amazing, you've all learned. (laughs) But what about, what if Jesus had just stayed in Capernaum after that busy day, after that long busy day, which would be the temptation, being so exhausted in every possible way. What if he had just stayed there instead of crossing over the Sea of Galilee to go over to the Gadarenes? Think about all, and by the way, Remember how we talked about the fact that that was a picture of the voyage of life and how storms can hit us so suddenly? And then we talked about how it is exactly six miles across from Capernaum over to the little town where they probably went called Gerasa. That was six miles across. Well, then he wasn't there very long, and they sent him away, and he crossed right back to the same place, which was another six miles, wasn't it? What is six plus six? Twelve. How old was Jairus' daughter? Um, How long did the woman have the issue of blood? Twelve. Do you know what the number twelve in the scripture symbolizes? Divine government. Who's in charge of this whole thing? God. Isn't that amazing? Divine government. All right, what if Jesus had never crossed over to the sea? All right, first of all, Jairus' daughter, if he had stayed in Capernaum, Jairus' daughter, who got deathly sick very quickly, Obviously, because if the Lord had been in Capernaum, Jairus would have come to him sooner. His daughter would have been healed before she got to the point of death. There would have been no need for him to have raised her from the dead. So Christ's power would not have been so evident to his disciples. It's a much greater miracle to raise someone from the dead than to just heal someone who's sick, right? So he wouldn't, his power wouldn't have been so evident to the disciples who he is now mostly interested in training and to Jairus and his family. Of course, this was great testimony to Jairus as well. So God would not have been as glorified. Furthermore, there would have been no satanically stirred up storm which Jesus calmed with just the power of his spoken word, which again served as a very strong lesson of his true person, to who, primarily to his disciples. And third, the demoniac would not have been delivered, and many people in Decapolis would not have heard the gospel message or the you know the message about the Lord Jesus Christ. There may not have been Christians in the city of Damascus for Paul, who was Saul, to even go and persecute. So just think of if he had not crossed all. Over to the sea, all these things that wouldn't have happened, and all the the glory that God would not have received, so we think of twelve divine government Jesus is in charge of everything, and we see this the more the more I look at it, the more deep it gets and I could have actually there's so much in this miracle we're going to look at this morning that I could have made it two parts. I thought no, we can't do that because we've got to end this, but uh this it's just unbelievable and when you start comparing and contrasting you see so many amazing things about God's word it's just endless anyway Jairus was one of the rulers of the synagogue let me let's review for a minute verses 21 to 24 we did look at these last week but let's review them mark 5 21 24 it says and when Jesus was passed over again by ship unto the other side this is after the the people in Gadara asked him to leave It says, "...much people," he's back in Capernaum, "...much people gathered unto him, and he was nigh unto the sea." He was still, you know, getting out of the boat. "...and behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And when he saw him," when Jairus saw Jesus, "...he fell at his feet, and besought him greatly, saying, "...my little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her, that she may be healed." and she shall live. And Jesus went with him, and much people followed him and thronged him. And then, of course, in verses 25 to 34, we had that parenthetical miracle where he stops along the way and deals with the woman who had the issue of blood for 12 years. All right, so back to Jairus. Jairus was a ruler of the synagogue, so he would he would have been in charge. He would have been the one who would select the readers and the teachers for each service, each synagogue service. He would re—he would have, um, excuse me—he would have pre-approved of what they would read and and what they would say, their sermons, so to speak. He would be the one who would see to it that all things in the synagogue were carried out decently and in order and according to all the tradition and the law. That would be his responsibility. We note that just because a man has a prestigious position in, we could say, the local church rather than the synagogue, does not mean that that person is free from trials and troubles. Right? They come to people on every level of society, whether they're the pastor or uh, or just one of the members of the congregation. Sometimes Satan will even focus more did diligently on those who are in prominent places of Christian service. Because if he can attack their testimony and if he can attack their faith, then he can also pull down others who look to those leaders for their strength and for their examples and have not, we seen this to be true many, many times. So we need to pray for those who are in leadership positions in our churches. We need to pray that the Lord would put a protect, you know, hedge of protection around them Keep them from temptation. Keep them from the evil one. It's very important, especially in this day and age. So, Jairus, Jairus was a ruler of the the, uh, the local synagogue there in Capernaum, and there wasn't a synagogue on every corner. There was just one. There was one synagogue there in Capernaum. And it was it's a it was a big one. Been there and I've seen the ruins of it. Now, this was the same synagogue which was financed by who? The Roman. Centurion, who servant his servant was healed by by Jesus at a distance. He had and that man was told, you know, that he had great faith. Jairus is the fourth man with this name found in the Bible, which is a bit of trivia, but it's interesting. The name Jair, J A I R, is found three times in the Old Testament, and um, I won't get into. Who they were. One was a judge of Israel for 22 years. One was a cousin of uh, Mordecai. But anyway, we won't go there. So his name, now this is really interesting. His name means God will awaken. God will awaken. And that is significant in light of this account regarding Jairus's dead daughter. And we'll get back to that in a little bit. Now, what do we learn about Jairus in these first several verses? What do we learn that we haven't already discussed? I mean, we've discussed his name and what it means, and we've discussed his position in the synagogue. What else do we learn about him? Well, we learn of his reverence and his respect for Jesus. He fell at Jesus's feet, right? Remember how many we're seeing all of them fall at Jesus's feet. We saw uh, the demoniac fall at Jesus' feet, the woman with the issue of blood fell at his feet, and now here Jairus falls, falls at the feet of Jesus. Where's the best place to be? At the feet of Jesus. Matthew 9:18. one of the parallel passages to this account, tells us that he worshipped him. Now, to show this kind of honor and respect, Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue, had to take a very humble position before Christ. He was a ruler in the Capernaum synagogue. Just think about that. He was the, rep, the local representative of Judaism. He, he was appealing and he was falling down before a man who his own peers had rejected. The official delegation. I know it seems like a long time ago, but it was just the previous day in the Lord's life. That busy day. This is just the next day. So the previous day, the official delegation of Judaism, which had come up from Jerusalem, had just declared that Jesus's power came from Beelzebub. That was just the day before. So Jairus, in doing this and falling down at the feet of Jesus and worshiping him, is really risking his position, isn't he? What, what would make a man do this? Well, <laughs> utter desperation for one thing. But this is good. You know, sometime it, sometimes it is really good for a person to be in a position of utter desperation because arrogance doesn't get anything from God. What does? Humbleness, humility. If it takes desperation... To bring someone to Christ in humility, that's good, isn't it? That's good. Blessings come from honoring the Savior. It took great humility for, for Jairus to bow himself before Jesus, showing that, that Jesus was much above himself. And that's good. That's good because blessings only come from honoring the Savior, not from honoring self, as the proud and the arrogant do. We also learn about Jairus, not, not only his utter desperation, but his great love and his great concern for who? Obviously, his, his daughter, his little daughter. Sometimes there are blessings found in affliction. We don't want them, we don't ask for affliction, and we don't ask for trials like this. This is a horrible trial for any parent to go through. But when they drive people to Christ, there is a definite benefit to them. While it's difficult to see the blessings, you know, during the afflictions and during the trials, yet they are intended what? We've talked about this so many times, it seems redundant, but those trials and afflictions and heartaches are intended to draw us closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. Did the storm draw the disciples closer to the Lord Jesus Christ? Yes, they had reverential fear for him at the end of the storm after he calmed it much more than they'd ever had before. Did the, uh, did the storm, I mean, did the trial and affliction uh, draw the demoniac closer to the Lord Jesus? Absolutely. He became the first recorded evangelist to the Gentiles. Did the affliction drive the woman, the bleeding woman, closer to the Lord Jesus? Absolutely. Absolutely. And same thing here, with the gyrus, as, as we're going to see, he'll, he's, he's, fallen, he's at the Lord's fleet feet right now, which he would never have been without the affliction happening to his daughter. But in the end he'll be you can imagine he'll be even more attached to the Lord. Psalm 11971 says, "It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes." It also says in that same psalm. Verse 67, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now have I kept thy word. All right, another reason Jairus may have been or would have been, uh, possibly would have been willing to reverentially and humbly appeal to Jesus and fall at Jesus' feet with regard to his uh, daughter would be his probable friendship with a Roman centurion. Don't you know? I mean, these two guys knew each other, no doubt about it. One financed the synagogue that the other one was the ruler of. Obviously, they knew each other. And the Roman centurion was a man with what kind of faith? Great faith. So if he had great faith, don't you think he talked to Jairus about what had happened in his life and how his dying servant boy, who he was very attached to, had a great affection for, had been healed even at a distance. And don't you know that this had to have boosted Jairus' faith in Jesus as well. So Jairus not only showed respect, but he also showed much resolve in his request of Jesus. We're told in Mark 5.23 that he besought him greatly. He wasn't just going to give up. He he was fervent. There was zeal and earnestness in his appeal. Put yourself in his shoes. You would too, right? In that situation, absolutely. I would do whatever it took. Stand on my head, roll, do cartwheels, whatever it took. If my daughter was dying, of course. So there was resolve. And what are we told James 5, 16? The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. The only deficiency of his request was that he kind of dictated... The manner of the miracle, and you don't do this with Jesus. You don't tell him how to to handle a miracle. Well, I want you to do it this way, Lord. But the but uh, you know, I still give the man much credit for coming to Jesus in the first place, especially a man of his position. But he did say, "I pray thee, come and what? Lay thy hands on her that she may be healed, and she shall she shall live." The Roman centurion actually had greater faith than the Jewish synagogue ruler, which is why Jesus marveled at the faith of the Roman centurion and said he had great faith. That was, by the way, over in in Matthew 8, verse 10. Remember, the centurion, centurion understood that Jesus did not have to be physically present in order to heal his dying servant boy. He didn't have to be right there at his bedside and lay his hands on him. He didn't have to touch him, did he? His faith was greater. Jairus, however, believed that Jesus did have to come to his house and lay his hands on his daughter. But the centurion had said what? And I always, I love this. He said, speak the word only. And I know my servant will be healed. That's why it was great faith. In spite of all the spiritual advantages that Jairus had, think of spiritual advantages that he had, the ruler of the synagogue, who could go to the, the, the Old Testament scriptures any day of the week. The Roman centurion didn't have all that in his background, did he? Not at all. So think of the advantages that Jairus had over the Roman soldier. Yet the Roman had the greater faith. Isn't that so typical of how we find things yet today? Sometimes we find strong faith, great faith, in the least expected places. This was certainly the case with the Gadarene demoniac. I mean, how many people who knew that, that fellow before Christ... How many would ever have thought that such a wild, crazy, possessed man would ever wind up being the first recorded evangelist to the Gentiles? You would think it maybe would be, you know, if Jairus had a son, you would think it would be Jairus' son, the pastor's son perhaps, but certainly not some wild, possessed, crazy person But that's just how life is. Sometimes we find great faith in the least expected places. Or who would have ever thought that a Samaritan woman who was actually really a harlot, you know, how many husbands said she had five, and she was living with a man who wasn't her husband, he was somebody else's husband, the sixth man in her life, who would have ever picked her to have become the first evangelist ever? The first one Jesus ever told who he really was. The first one to who he ever told who he was. And that she became the first recorded evangelist. Would you ever pick her out? (laughs) It's just amazing how he works. Now, of course, I don't mean to belittle Jairus' faith. Because, as I said, it's very commendable that he did come to Jesus at all. You know, with any faith at all. It just wasn't as strong as the Romans' faith. And all of us can do with more faith. Who could ever say they, could, they, they didn't need more faith? Each and every one of us could do with more faith. And again, I point out that positions of importance in the church or in any ministry do not always guarantee that those people are the ones with the greatest faith. Faith is something found in the heart of persons no matter what their position is in the world, You know, whether they're a president or a ditch digger or whatever their position is are in the church you know it's just something that's in the heart of a person regardless of their position by the way Luke eight forty two, which again is another parallel passage to this I didn't I'm not going to take the time to read but it does tell us that this little 12 year old daughter of Jairus was his only daughter perhaps his only child we do know definitely his only daughter just as the The son of the widow in Nain was her only son. Do you think that this is purposely reminding us of the fact that Jesus Christ was also the only son of God? I think it is. The fact that these are both stressed. The widow son of Nain who was raised from the dead and this daughter of Jairus. Both of them use the exact same word that we find in John 3.16. The only and I think we once again see uh, the fact of Jesus, equi- his equality with all people. He is indeed no respecter of persons. He raised from the dead an only son, and now here we see him raised from the dead an only daughter. And the last resurrection from the dead, besides his own, will be the only, uh, an only brother. Martha and Mary only had one brother, Lazarus. He healed an insignificant woman, the woman with the issue of blood, and he helped a prominent man. So you see how he is no respecter of persons? Now, the two miracles of the healing of the, a woman with the issue of blood and Jairus' only daughter are, are not only given together, you know, one inside of the other one. We, we told you last week that the woman's healing was actually parenthetical but they are also purposely connected by the Holy Spirit in other ways, some of which we mentioned last week. And the Holy Spirit obviously put these two miracles together in the way that he did so we could see some of these connections. Um, Jairus was a leader of the synagogue, right? The bleeding woman had been put out of the synagogue. She was, not, she was excluded from the synagogue because she was considered unclean. And who would have been the one who was in charge of making sure she didn't enter into the synagogue and that she was excluded? <laughs> Jairus, that was his job. That was one of his jobs as a ruler of the synagogue. He, and he probably knew her because of that. Uh, he was wealthy and what was her situation? very poor she was bankrupt because she'd spent all her money on doctors he had an only daughter and she is the only one the one with the issue of blood was the only one jesus ever did call daughter again there's a connection we see her problem of bleeding would have begun the very same year that jairus's daughter was born you know knowing the lord i wouldn't be surprised if her problem began the day jairus's daughter was born I really wouldn't be surprised if we find that out in heaven. But her bleeding problem began at the very same time, or the same year, Jairus' daughter was born. Her problem of bleeding ended at the same time that Jairus' daughter died. Now, how do I know that? Well, I know that because Mark 5.35 tells us that it was while Jesus was yet speaking to the woman, that Jairus got the dreaded message that his daughter had actually died. Now, they were a little distance yet from Jairus' house, not too far because everything in Capernaum is relatively close, but while the woman was telling all that had happened, uh, or even while she reached up and and touched one of those little tassels on his shawl, the daughter, maybe the same minute she felt that she was healed, the daughter died. I wouldn't be surprised about that either at that same moment, but anyway, then, then he's talking to the woman for a while, right? He's having a conversation, and if a woman told all that had happened, it probably took a while, <laughs> just long enough for the messengers to get from Jairus' home. So, I, you know, that, that's amazing when you think about all this. All the physicians couldn't help one of them, and all the religious power couldn't help the other. You know, one was a religious person. And don't you know he probably had all his, his religious buddies get together and have prayer time, but nothing happened. She she didn't get any better. So we find we find that both both of the problems of the bleeding woman and of Jairus's situation got worse before they ever got better. Same thing with the storm. See, this is where my mind traveled. That's why it takes me forever to get through these lessons. I about how the storm got worse. It had to get to the very part where they were just about to perish before the Lord did something. Do you feel like that in your life sometimes? Well, so it has to get right to the very end where you're just about to perish. But he doesn't give us more than we can bear, does he? And same thing with the demoniac. His situation got worse before it got better. At first, they had him in, in fetters and chains, but they couldn't even constrain, you know, he broke them, so they finally just let him go, and he was wild, cutting himself and everything. His situation got worse before it got better. The uh, the woman's situation got worse, we told you. know, she went to all the physicians, spent all her money, but she only got worse. She got worse before she got better, and Jairus' de- daughter definitely got worse, didn't she? You can't get much worse than she got. She died. Happy birthday. Also, both of them were also encouraged by the Lord himself to go all the way in their demonstrations of faith. The woman would have snuck away privately, wouldn't she? She didn't want anybody to know about her situation. She'd been healed, but she wanted to sneak away. But Jesus encouraged her to go all the way with her demonstration of faith. He called her out to make a public confession of her faith. And by doing that, she received added blessings, didn't she? We talked about some of those, one of which was the fact that she was the only one in the, in the Bible who is called daughter by the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, too, the Lord encouraged Jairus after he got word that his daughter died by saying, be not afraid, only believe. And then going on with Jairus to his home where Jairus also received added blessings. Think about what the delay must have been like for Jairus. You know, this delay with this woman. They're here, you know, he's got Jesus. He waited for him to come across the storm. Come on, come on, Lord. Lord finally, you know, barely gets out of the boat. And Jairus says, you've got to come to my house. My daughter's dying. And now there's this delay with this woman. Just think what that would have been like for Jairus. Even though the Lord Jesus immediately consented to go with him to see his daughter, you know, knowing, of course, that he didn't have to. Could the Lord have just spoken a word right there? And the daughter would have been healed? Or could he have just thought in his mind, you know, for the daughter to be healed? He could have done that. Um, but, But he chose not to. For Jairus, the delay with the woman must have been pure, pure agony. If you think, you know, put yourself in his place. And this, I thought about this too. This might have been one of the reasons for the disciples' comment. You know, maybe they were more concerned about Jairus when they said, you know, Lord, there's a lot of people around you. What do you mean, who touched you? Maybe they were thinking of Jairus. Let's get to his house, Lord. Forget this, whatever, who touched you business. Maybe that, you know, and they they would think, well, Jairus is an influential person. Let's get going. Let's go to his house. All right, so say your child was dying in the hospital, and you got, you got word about it, and you knew whatever, maybe there was some rare disease that the child had, you you got word maybe from the school that they had to take your child, and oh, this is awful to even think about, but child was in the hospital and you knew that there was only one physician who could save his or her life. And you knew that this physician was not at the hospital, but this physician was somewhere else. But you found out where he was and you went to that place to get him. And then, let's say, you know, in order to keep this sort of a modern account, this modern account in line with what actually happened to Jairus, um, let's say that you're on the way in a car, you know, and you're, and you're rushing to the hospital, and there on the side of the road is an accident. Now, you can just look at it and see that it's, it's nothing very bad looking at all. You know, it's just a, a bumper bender kind of a thing. But your physician insists on stopping and spending time uh, talking to one of the ladies in the accident and putting some medicine, you know, she has a little a cut on her knee, let's say. And so he, he takes time, and he's putting medicine and a Band-Aid on her knee. And he's talking to her, just taking his time. He seems to be in no hurry at all. And he's totally focused on this woman and not on your situation or on your dying, you don't think he is, you know, thinking at all about your dying child in the hospital. How do you think you would be doing in that situation, I know I would flunk with flying colors. I would flunk. All things considered, therefore, I would say that Gyrus did much better than any of us would do, especially when the woman got to talking about her little testimony and told all the truth. You know, a man has trouble listening to a woman anyway, but in a situation like this. But we don't hear him interrupt the Lord at all during this entire incident. And if nothing else, I would say, whew, that man has got some patience. You see, the Lord was teaching Jairus some lessons through this delay. Just like in our, our life situations, does he teach us lessons through, through delay? Lessons through delay? Oh, does he ever. Do we like delays? We like our prayer requests made, you know, answered right away. But he teaches us a lot through delays. Uh if we're willing to be still and learn. He taught Jairus patience, and he taught him unselfishness. Often when we are so burdened down with our own problems and with what is going on in our own lives, we fail to give time and effort to help reach out to others in their problems. Divine delays help to improve our unselfish consideration of other people selfishness is of course not a good character quality did you know that it's not good do we all battle with it oh yes forcing us to be involved with other people's problems as gyrus was forced you see to stand by and learn about this woman's problem helps us to fight our own natural tendency towards selfishness and this was a big test this was a big test Furthermore, Jairus learned a very valuable lesson about waiting on the Lord and, uh, you know, a need for patience, waiting on the Lord, waiting on the Lord, waiting on the Lord. I even have a cross-stitch piece that I did about waiting on the Lord. I have it in my kitchen, and I look at it every day because we all need, it to, need to be reminded to wait on the Lord. It says they that wait upon their, the Lord shall what? Renew their strength. Also, as mentioned, Jairus' faith showed a flaw. There was a flaw in his faith in that he thought Jesus had to be present and had to actually touch his daughter in order for her to be healed. The healing of this woman who had 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 an incurable situation for 12 long years, same age as his daughter, would have encouraged Jairus to have stronger faith in Jesus's power, which he needed. He was going to need that stronger faith much sooner than he thought, just think how much the Lord's words spoken to the woman right at the time, right at the very time Jairus got word about his daughter's death. Think about the words that Jesus was speaking to the woman with the issue of blood, how they would have helped to encourage Jairus's faith right at the moment when he was going to need them. It, um, the words almost seem, when we look at we're going to look at in one second, Almost seemed to be spoken in double talk. Not only for the woman's benefit, for, but for Jairus's benefit. Jesus said, look at um, Mark five thirty-five, and I'm going to read the whole passage in one second. Uh, Jesus said, daughter, and inserted after daughter in Luke's account, it says, be of good comfort. Daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith, hath made thee whole, go in peace and be whole of thy plague. Who would Jairus have been thinking about? His daughter. Jesus reminds him of his daughter when he says to this woman with the issue of blood, daughter, be of good comfort. In a minute, Jairus isn't going to need more comfort than he ever would imagine. Be of good comfort. Thy faith hath made thee whole. Who was going to need to be made whole? His daughter. Who was going to need faith? Him. Go in peace. In a minute, he's going to get word, and then Jesus is going to go with him. But that trip, he says, Come on, you know, you're know, you going to need to go in peace. And the daughter would be made whole of the plague. I mean, all these things, he's speaking to the woman, but they must have been helping Jairus, because let's look at what he hears next. All right, Look with me at... Um, Mark 5:35, it says, "While he yet spake, and that's Jesus." So while he's speaking the words of verse 34, the, while he's yet speaking those words, there come from the ruler of the synagogue's house certain, which means probably more than one messenger, which said, "Thy daughter is dead. Why troublest thou the master any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he saith unto the ruler of the synagogue, which would be Jairus, be not afraid, only believe. And he suffered no man to follow him, save Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And he cometh to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and seeth the tumult and them that wept and wailed greatly. And when he was come in, he saith unto them, why make ye this ado and weep? The damsel is not dead, but sleepeth. If you want to circle in your Bible, circle every time I read the word damsel, and you'll see something interesting. That is the first one right there. And they laughed him to scorn. But when he had put them all out, and Matthew tells us he said the words give place, which we could say is get out. Uh, when he had put them all out, said, Give place, he taketh the father, that would be Jairus, and the mother of the damsel, and them that were with him, that would be Peter, James, and John, and entereth in where the damsel was lying. And he took the damsel by the hand, and said unto her, Talitha Kumi, which is being interpreted, damsel, and I say unto thee, Arise. And straightway the damsel arose. And over in Luke, it tells us her spirit came again. And what did she do? Walked. For she was of the age of 12 years. She was of the age of 12 years. And the word for walk there means she walked continuously. She just got up and started walking around like a 12-year-old would do. Just walk, 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 walk. And they were astonished. With a great astonishment. And he, Jesus, charged them straightly that no man should know it, and commanded that something should be given her to eat. So those those words, uh, verse 34, were being spoken when he said, Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole, go in peace and be whole of thy plague to the woman, you know, with the issue of blood. blood, Those women's words were being spoken at the very time that Jairus got word, thy daughter is dead why troublest thou the master any further these messengers you have to admit did not have very good calamity skills not very good bedside manner at all here no graceful skill in telling the father such absolutely heartbreaking news thy daughter is dead furthermore their advice was also seriously deficient they were no encouragement at all to Jairus when they said, why troublest thou the master any further? They only really, and and this is what society can do. Sin, what can sin do for a person? Eventually death. What can society do? Well, they only encourage, unregenerate society, only encourage Jairus to give up all hope and to cease from his effort to seek help from uh, Jesus. Miserable comforters were these his fellow man. Makes me think of Job's friends. Sin had brought the ultimate sorrow, which is death, and society had nothing whatsoever to offer except giving up all hope, dealing with the sorrow, and then burying the girl. Now, if these messengers had not heard about Jesus and all that he had been doing right there in their very area, including having raised the young widow's son, down in Nain, which was only 20 miles away, then it would have been more understandable for their response here. But no one could live in Capernaum and be a friend of Jairus, which obviously they knew Jairus, they were his friend, and not have heard of the miracles of Jesus of Nazareth. They had to have heard of his many miracles. And the Roman centurion's miracle, you know, for his dying servant boy, They would have heard about that. If they knew Jairus and were a friend of Jairus, they knew about the Roman centurion. They would have known about the healing of the man with the withered hand because that took place right there in that same synagogue. They would have known about the healing of the deaf and dumb demoniac, which had just occurred the day before. seems like 100 years before, but it was just the day before. And uh, they would have heard and known about the healing of the paralytic lowered through the roof of probably Peter's home. And they would have known about the instant and complete healing of Peter's mother-in-law. And what about the storm? Capernaum was right there on the Sea of Galilee. If there was a storm here in Sanford, don't you, doesn't everybody in Sanford know about it? If there was a tornado that came through or some horrible storm. And that had just been the night before. And there had been other little ships on the sea. Don't you think everybody came back immediately about the report of what Jesus had done? They could see him stand up in the boat and say, peace be still. They knew there had been an awful storm, a very, very bad storm, and all of a sudden, instant calm. So we could excuse the messengers if they hadn't heard so much about Jesus. But even still, Jesus was a, man, a spiritual person. He was a rabbi. At least they could have said, you know, instead of saying, why troublest thou the master, they could have said, well, you know, at least he could maybe have prayer for you or something or be a comfort and go back to the home. But they said, why trouble him any further? What were they? They were unbelievers. Why why should we trouble us thou us the master? Because he is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in time of trouble. We should trouble and his, is he troubled by our problems? No, he is never troubled when we bring to him our circumstances and our heartaches and our sorrows. He is never, ever troubled by our concerns and by our prayers. So the messengers brought Jairus terrible news and with terrible, a terrible way that they did it, really. The worst news, can't you imagine, this was the worst news of his entire life. His precious little one, his little lamb, his one and only daughter who was just at the point of becoming a young woman was gone. She died too late. That's the bad news of mankind, isn't it? We're all dying and we all will die. But there is the good news of the Savior. And just as soon as Jesus Heard the word that was spoken. I think it's interesting. He was yet speaking and yet he also heard. Doesn't that speak of the omniscience of Jesus? He can be talking and hearing at the same time. As soon as he heard the word that was spoken to Jairus, he saith unto the ruler of the synagogue, Be not afraid, only believe. With a simple twofold command from the Master, jairus was perhaps able to ascend from the depths of fear to the heights of faith maybe the lord would do for him as he had done for that widow's son down in Nain. there was now this precedent wasn't there he had done it before maybe he would do it again and there was also the hope in that jesus didn't turn back and leave jairus did he he didn't say oh well that's that's too late he he kept on going with him he set forward to continue to jairus's house we need to remember that when everything seems to be going against us who has not left us the lord has not left us he will never leave us nor forsake us he has heard all that has been going on in our lives he knows all that is happening to us he hears it all we need to remember that divine commands are really divine comfort here he gave two commands but they were really divine comfort and the old devil would tell us that the commands of god are enemies you know restricting us and and our fun but our divine divine commands are enemies no, the really divine commands are our friends. They are there for our own protection and also for our comfort. The miracle of raising Jairus' daughter, did you know this? It is the most command-filled miracle of all, the miracles of Jesus Christ. There are more commands given in this miracle than in any other, and I probably shouldn't have you count them because you'll come up with a different number. <laughs> but there are 7 or 8. It'd be interesting if there's 7 because that's the number of perfection. It also would be interesting if there are 8. I think there really are 8 because I don't think the commentaries included the one where he said give way to the um, to the uh, mourners. Yeah. But if you count that there's 8, which is also good because 8 is the number of resurrection, and this is a resurrection miracle. Anyway, the first two commands were given to Jairus right after he received word Uh, You know, that his daughter had died. That awful, awful word. One command had to do with fear, be not afraid. And the other command had to do with faith, only believe. You know, all of the situations in our last three or four miracles had a lot to do with Jesus overcoming fear. You think back to the storm, were the disciples fearful in the storm? Oh yeah, they're very, very Fearful. Uh, what about the, um, the whole city of uh, Gerasa? Were they afraid? They were very much afraid of the two wild demoniacs. No one could even pass by them. Were the um, demoniacs themselves afraid? Yes, they would have been afraid because they were filled with demons. Were the demons afraid? Oh, yes, they were very afraid about the arrival of Jesus. People without Jesus, and of course that includes all of Satan's realm, have every reason to be fearful. Those who come to him, however, need fear nothing. God hath not given us the spirit of fear, has he? But of power and of love and of a sound mind. Their fear of what nature or what their fellow man or what Satan's realm or what death itself can do to them in each one of these cases was replaced by faith. And the woman with the issue of blood, wasn't she also? We found her fearing and trembling, and wasn't that replaced by her faith in Jesus? So it's interesting that now we find Jairus, too, was fearful after hearing, and who wouldn't be, after hearing about his daughter's death. So Jesus gives the command of comfort. He says, be not afraid. And then he deals with stretching Jairus's faith. Only believe. Belief never, unbelief never brings comfort to anyone. Unbelief does not bring comfort. The messengers who brought Jairus the bad news were unbelievers with regard to Christ's person and his power. So they brought no hope. Unbelievers can't bring you hope when you're facing a calamity in your life, can they? They can maybe say, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. But they can't bring you any hope. They can't give you any assurance. They can't give you any comfort. But faith is altogether different. Faith has something to give by way of hope and comfort and assurance. The words only believe, by the way, are given in the present imperative so that it is a command for continual faith. Only believe and keep on believing. It's sustained faith, even in the presence of death itself. If you've lost a loved one in the Lord, guess what? Keep on believing, keep on having faith, because one day you're going to see that one again if you yourself know Christ that's what we have as Christians isn't that a whole lot better than what the world has no comparison well following the two commands the Lord gave a promise and this is found in Luke 8:50. fear not it's not found in our Mark text he says after he says fear not believe only he says this is a promise and she shall be made whole Doesn't that sound like the words he had just spoken to the woman with the issue of blood? When he said to her, be of good comfort, thy faith hath made thee whole. He said, you know, fear not, believe only, and she, your daughter, will be made whole. Notice that is no partial promise. Jesus specifically said that the daughter would be made what? Half? (laughs) No, whole. This would not only be a raising from the dead, but it would be a complete restoration back to health. And we see that when she starts walking around. Walk, 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 walk. She would not come back to life and remain for some time on her sickbed. He always does a complete work. When Jesus works, it's always complete. A finished, complete work is the only performance that, he, that is satisfactory to him. And that is how we should be as well. You know what? He's going to complete his work in each and every one of you one day and in me. And one day he'll say, it is finished. So the Lord sent everyone away except, now this is the first time he singles out just his three inner circle men. Peter, James, and John. This is the first time we see that they're the inner circle. He'll do it again on the Mount of Transfiguration, and he'll do it again in the Garden of Gethsemane, but this is the first time. All three of those situations have to do with death. I think it's in your notes, so I won't go over that. When they arrived at Jairus's home, they found that the professionally paid mourners and musicians were already there. They didn't waste any time. Jairus was a prominent person. They knew his daughter was dying. The minute she died, boom, they were there. The words tumult and the lord's word that's in verse 38 and the lord's word ado you know what's all this ado they come those two words come from the exact same greek word which describes a noisy uproar of persons wailing it it talks about a clamorous multitude of riotous persons both of those words tumult and ado in this case it spoke of the loud screeching and wailing by women who were hired mourners. Made it, they made a—can you imagine doing this as a profession? They made a profession of their ability. They were—they were gifted mourners. <laughs> they had a special ability to show grief by way of ostentatious noise. Now I don't know. Maybe, maybe nobody in here can identify with what was going on here but i can have any of you ever been to a greek orthodox funeral or i should say the the wake they call it the you call it a viewing have any has anybody i'll i'll never forget the very first one i ever went to was my grandfather's my greek grandfather the one who's from corinth those of you who don't know i'm a corinthian which isn't too good <laughs> but uh It was awful. I was about 21 years old. My grandfather had died right in my living room. He had just been sitting at our table eating dinner, and uh, he actually got up to go use the bathroom facility and died there of a heart attack. It was horrible because as he was dying, he was seeing things we couldn't see, and he was screaming. It was awful. He was unsaved. But at his funeral, they had these women, these professional mourners, and they wailed and they screeched and they carried on. And I was at another Greek funeral um, in Southern Pines when I first came down here. And I'll never forget, it was actually the daughter of a woman who d- had died. But the daughter was like in her 70s and her mother was still alive. She was in her 90s. But the mother was on the front pew doing this. The whole funeral and all the southern people in the church were just sh- you could just say, what is going on? Because, you know, we're, we're always quiet and proper in church, especially in a funeral, but this woman was wailing and shrieking and crying out, and it's horrible. It is really horrible. It doesn't give you a whole lot of comfort. It just makes your grief worse. Why do they pay them to do that? I don't know. I wouldn't want to pay anybody to do that. Would you want to pay anybody to do that? It was the custom. I think it still is in some countries in the Middle East. But such a a show of grief certainly, certainly does not, it it doesn't bring comfort to those sorrowing. It only adds to the sorrow. When Christ gave his reprimand question, why make ye this ado and weep? He wasn't condemning those with broken hearts. He was condemning the artificial mourning that was going on. It It was a show that did not impress God, didn't impress God. The loudest grief is not always the greatest grief. Or the most sincere grief. In fact, such grief is the product of unbelief, really. It is. For people who don't know the Lord, I guess you can understand why they would wail and carry on like this. Heathenism conducts itself with this loathsome form of conduct, which is no help to the bereaved at all. What then is society able to do for the incurable problem of death? What are they able to do? Mourn scorn, as we'll see next, and bury. Besides the professional female mourners with their wailing and their shrieking and their crying out very loudly the name of the person who had just died, and that's what they would do, is say the name of the little girl over and over again. Besides them, there were also the musicians who would be there, and they were also paid professionals, and they would be uh, uh, playing their instruments, mostly flutes, with uh, uh, loud, loud and, and disharmony. Not harmony, but disharmonic. Which again reminds me of Satan, doesn't it, to you? Loud and disharmonic. And third, there would be the tearing of clothing. The Jews had developed 39 regulations with regard to tearing their clothing. <laughs> 39. Now, I can understand tearing clothing. You know, if I was in this situation, I I might feel like tearing my clothing. But to have 39 regulations about it would be kind well, for one thing, you had to be standing. You couldn't be sitting when you tore your clothes. There are 39. I'm not going to give you all 39. But another one was that the tear had to be directly over the heart. And if the mourner was the mother or the father of the one who died, it also had to be a big enough tear to put a fist through. However, it could be sewn up. And I thought, well, that's good. I wouldn't want to right there, Uh, it could be sewn up with loose stitches for the first 30 days of the mourning period, but it had to be noticeable to others that the tear had been made. Now, because Jairus was a high-ranking official in the synagogue and and well off financially, there were probably many of these professional whalers that showed up. They all wanted to get their cut of the money, you know, and um, they came right away. Because the dead, remember we talked about this, the dead were washed and anointed and buried on the same day as their death. So when Jesus and his three men, along with Jairus, entered into the house, he said, in effect, why are you making all this ado? Well, that is exactly what he said. Why are you making all this ado? Why all this wailing? She's not dead, but is merely sleeping. As soon as he said that, we find the true emotion of these professionals. Sin had brought death, as it always does. Society was able to do nothing more than bring bad news, discourage Jairus from bothering Jesus, carry on with pretended grief uh, just to get some cash, and help in the burying. Unregenerate society is detached and selfish. Look how quickly we find these mourners turning from uh, their wailing their mourning to what? To scorning. Look how fast their mourning turns to scorning. Look how quickly their wailing turns into laughter. Verse 40 says they laughed him to scorn. They laughed Jesus to scorn. This was not trivial laughter either. This wasn't like, <laughs> that's so silly. It wasn't like that. It was it was conti- in the continuous tense again. They kept it up. It was heinous disrespect for him they derided him they jeered at him they ridiculed him much as the the crowd at the foot of the cross did same kind of derision just as they had been carried away in their pronounced form of mourning they were now just as dramatic in their scorning except the difference was that their scorning was real their mourning had been false but their scorning was real to them, his words were very stupid. I mean, after all, they, are, they were professionals. They knew death when they saw it. That's what they did for a living, is stand over the dead and squeal, scream and screech. Anyone with any sense would know the girl was not sleeping. She was dead, and there are no degrees to death. Did you know that there is not dead, deader, deadest? There's just, there's just dead. Why did Jesus say that this girl merely slept? Why did, she, why did he say she merely slept? Well, because to Jesus, that's all that death is. The language of the Lord about death is not the language of the world. It's the language of one who sees the eternal future of the soul. The world sees death as the end. But death is not the end, is it? It's the beginning. The soul, the souls of both the lost and the saved continue to exist. He was not teaching soul sleep. Now make sure you understand that. He wasn't teaching soul sleep here like the Jehovah's Witnesses teach. The soul doesn't go to sleep. The soul goes instantly you know, to be in the presence of the Lord. It's the body that sleeps. Jesus always spoke of death as, the death of believers as sleep. Always Since sleep is a normal experience, are any of you afraid to go to sleep at night? I mean, I look forward to it. (laughs) Sleep is a normal experience. So he's telling us not to fear death. It is merely the body which sleeps. The soul doesn't sleep at all. The soul, as I just said, is instantly in the presence of the Lord. This is all possible. Why? Because Jesus Christ walked right up to death at the cross, And he looked it square in the face, and he stared it down. He defeated death when he bodily arose from the grave. He he took the victory from death, didn't he? Didn't he take the sting from the grave? The victory over death and the sting from the grave. And at the rapture, you know, of course, even our bodies, which will, you know, sleep in the grave, but at the rapture, even our bodies will be awakened and will be glorified as was his there's a true story of an old slave who was dying and he called his family in and then very calmly told them he said I don't fear death don't cry for me I'm not afraid of going over the river into the land of the dead because I know the one who owns the land on both sides of the river (laughs) that's true just as the Lord in power and amazing authority cleansed the temple of all the professional hypocritical money chamber, change, changers, I know I'm in a hurry, so I'm getting tongue-tied here. As he cleansed the temple, he now cleansed Jairus's house with another command. In Matthew 9:24, he we are told that he ta- said to the scorning mourners and the musicians who were making not only a mockery out of him, but who else were they making a mockery out of? They were making a mockery, really, out of the grief of the little girl's family. They were showing no sympathy, no true sympathy or respect for them whatsoever. So Jesus said to them, Give place. And they obeyed him. That's pretty amazing. They, just like at the temple situation, they left. He removed the scorners from witnessing the wonderful miracle that he was about to perform. You see, when people deride the things, when they mock and scorn the things and the truths of God, God will shut them out. These people didn't get to see this miracle. They didn't get this wonderful blessing. The scorning of the unbelievers did not stop the the Lord from defeating death. In Mark chapter 5, and neither will it stop believers slumbering bodies from resurrecting when he calls to them one day. You know, when we hear the voice of the archangel, the trump of God, and the voice of the archangel. Sin brings death. Society brings detachment. But the Lord, the Savior, brings what? Deliverance. So after putting out all the scorning hypocrites from the house, the Lord Jesus took the mother and the father, I call them Mr. and Mrs. Jairus, and he took the three inner circle disciples, Peter, James, and John, into the room where the little girl lay dead. And then what did he do? He purposely touched her. He took her by the hand. Now, was it a no-no for someone to touch the dead? The dead were considered unclean. Did Jesus ever... Neglect to touch people who were considered unclean. He had touched the the widow's son of Nain. He had touched lepers. He was constantly touching people. He didn't care what their little rules and regulations said. He took that precious little one by the hand. And he gave his next command, which was given in Aramaic. His mother tongue, we could say. He said, Talitha kumi, which means made arise is what is given in Luke 8:54, or little girl arise as is given in Matthew or in Mark what do we have uh, damsel damsel arise it was a term of affection something very similar to what her mother probably said to her every morning when she came into her room to get her out of bed little girl arise time to get up and what happened Immediately, straightway, her spirit came again, Luke tells us. The damsel arose and she walked. With no hesitation whatsoever, the little girl came back to life. She, she, first of all, she would have opened her eyes, you know, full color, would have immediately returned to her skin. She got up out of her bed and she began to walk. There was no period of recuperation whatsoever. Jesus had promised that she would be made whole, hadn't he? Does he keep his promises? When he says, I am the resurrection and the life, he that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Is he going to keep that promise? Oh, yes, he is. Jairus' name had been a prophecy. God will awaken. And now it had been fulfilled. God had awakened. She hadn't been dead, she was merely asleep, and he awakened her, just like her mother would do. The joy, can you just imagine this scene? The joy that must have filled that room. The scripture simply tells us that they were astonished with a great astonishment, which puts it mildly. I can just picture tears streaming down their faces, hugs, laughter with joy unspeakable, awesome, reverential fear of the Lord himself in their midst. And in the midst of it all, what does the ever practical Lord Jesus do? He gives yet another command, something nobody else would be thinking about at such a time. But he says, why don't you give the little girl something to eat? She's probably hungry. She's been sick. Feed her. And this, you know, is how it is going to be one day for all of us who have lost loved ones in the Lord. One day we too, just like in this scene, one day we too will experience the joyous reunion with them. We will grab one another. We will hug one another. There will be tears of great joy and love and relief and wonder. I mean, just could you imagine, I get to see my mama again and my grandma. Some of you get to see your husbands. Some of you will see your children and your father. And Jesus, the great physician, is going to be there in the midst of us, watching and enjoying every single moment of it. Don't you know how much he enjoyed being in that room with the gyruses? What thoughts must have passed through the Savior's mind as he watched this moving scene? Do you think that he thought that his coming to earth was to be well worth the pain and the shame and the rejection and the sorrow that he would go through? Do you think he thought it would be worth it when the scene would be repeated millions of times one day in heaven? He would experience... What the joy, joy, gyruses were enjoying, not just once, but millions of times over. And then, just like this scene, one day in heaven, when there's this great reunion, he's going to be just as practical, because then he's going to ring the dinner bell, <laughs> and he's going to say, okay, it's time to eat, and we're going to have a great feast together with him at the feast of the marriage supper of the Lamb. Won't that be a dinner you don't ever want to miss? Why do you think, and we're going to end with this, why do you think that Jesus gave the command then not to tell this miracle to anyone? Anybody have a thought on that? Why would he do that? That's right. That's one of the main reasons. He had told Israel that he would not give her any more signs but the sign of Jonas. You know, when he himself would raise from the dead. Who was he doing this for? This miracle primarily, he was teaching his own men, his disciples. And through the three inner, you know, don't you know those three inner circles? Disciples went out, of course, and told the others. Furthermore, I believe that if for no other reason the command was to protect the little girl, it would not be good for her safety, for this miracle to get a lot of publicity. Now we find the people disobeyed him, and they did spread the word. It would be hard to keep a miracle like that from other people. But um, we're going to find out in the next raising from the dead that he will perform, which will probably take us at least four or five years to get to, when he raises Lazarus from the dead, what do the religious rulers want to do? They want to kill not only Jesus, but they also want to kill Lazarus. The last thing that this little girl needed was a lot of fame. Even if, it, even if they didn't come to try to get rid of her, you know, to destroy the evidence, people would be bothering her, wouldn't they? They would be trying to touch her. You know, the news cameras and the microphones would come to her home and drive her crazy, talk to her, and try to make someone famous out of her. And none of that kind of thing is good for the character of one who is so young. It is never good for young people to have that much fame. You, you you see it over and over again, how their lives are just become disasters. All that she really needed was feeding. Once new life had begun, peep has begun. Think about this. Once we are new in Christ, what's the the most important thing for us? Feeding. Pete once we have begun our new life, we need to be fed. And we need to be fed again and again and again. They must faithfully, new disciples must be faithfully and continuously taught the word of God. When churches fail to do this, as they have in our day, unfortunately, the result is a multitude of weak Christians. Those who cannot discern right from wrong, truth from error, who cannot overcome temptations. Jesus wants his children fed What were the last words he said to Peter? Feed my sheep. sheep. And he also said, feed my lambs. Now the word he used for damsel was little lamb. How appropriate that feeding the little lamb was his seventh or eighth (laughs) final command of this miracle. He is very concerned about us as mothers and grandmothers feeding the little lambs so let's commit to do that all right lord thank you for this wonderful lesson thank you truly lord jesus that you can overcome all of our fears through faith and that one day there will be a great reunion in the sky and this scene will take place millions and millions and millions of times over and over again and how we long for that day, Lord Jesus. So we say, even so, come quickly. We love you. Now, watch over each woman, take her back home safely and bring her back again next week with a heart full of a desire to share what you have done for her this year. For we pray in your name, Lord. Amen.